Okay, so, so in the Old Testament, when we were there, we studied a couple of the minor prophets together. And uh, I think we might have done that, uh, put a couple of books together. We did. We put Philemon with, um, with something, Second Thessalonians, I think, uh, earlier, a um, couple of months ago. So if everything goes as planned and, bar- and barring any kind of uh, unforeseen or weather issues or whatever in the next few weeks, we have one, uh, two more weeks after tonight. Uh, tonight is Second Peter and Jude, and we'll come, we'll back up, Lord willing, next week and get First, Second, and Third John, and uh, that's going to be a lot to fit in tonight. Also, we'll try to get all those, and then, Lord willing, two weeks from tonight, we'll make our way through Revelation, and we will be finished with our study of cruising through uh, the Bible. So, of course, all of them right now are out there on uh, podcast. Uh, they can be found on there if anybody would like to go, go back and listen to any of them or missed any of them or, or whatever they'll be. I'll keep those out there for a little while. And then I may later on put them back out at some point and maybe um, uh, load them back on there again. But anyway, so right now we should have everything. So again, we've, co- we've combined um, a few times in the Old Testament, at least once before tonight in the New Testament. So... Um, even though there's 66 books, there won't be 66 studies because of combining some of them. All right, let's move on with Second Peter. Second Peter is towards the end there of um, of your New Testament, heading towards First, uh, Second, Third John. Second uh, Peter is the theme of it. Is we've we've tried to get a theme either with one word, sometimes more than one word, to theme up the whole book. Is false teachers and false teaching, and it's uh, three chapters of Second Peter. It's shorter than his first letter. Um, first letter had five uh, chapters. We looked at it last week, um, and uh, tonight we'll look at his second letter. Uh, he wrote two of the uh, books of the New Testament, First, Second Peter. So we've been trying to do our timeline as we go through um, in all of our books, and um, First Peter was written, we looked at last week, about 60 A.D., so Second Peter was done roughly about six years later, written about six years later. And um, as we study these books, you can see the style of the writer, how they are very similar. Paul's writings are very similar to all of his other letters. And Peter's uh, two letters are very similar in a lot of places, the way he writes. Uh, but we six, six years apart on those. Then Jude that we'll be getting to after we go through Second Peter here tonight is, was also written roughly about 66 A.D. And so they're right towards the end of the period of writing of the New Testament. There's a skip from about 66 or 67 A.D. when Paul wrote 2 Timothy. That was his last letter um, before he was martyred. There's a skip a gap of about another oh, 30-something years, actually, about 34 years roughly, uh, because from what we know, Revelation was written about 90 A.D. And so we'll come back to that when we talk about it uh, in a couple of weeks. And so um, these were written, this was probably about the time... Paul made his second missionary journey. No, I take that back. That'd be towards the end of his um, fourth journey when he went to to Rome. So that'd be about the time frame of both Second Peter and Jude. All right. So we're going to look at real quick just a breakdown of um, of the book itself. It, it kind of it's like some of the other books we've looked at. It doesn't go like chapter by chapter theme. You see where it like bleeds into different. You know, maybe just a half a chapter bleeds into another chapter. So what we'll do is we'll look at a quick overview of the outline, and then we'll go and look at some highlights like we usually do. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, we'll come, come to this in just a moment, but it talks about the blessings of victorious Christian living. 
And even though this book might be seen somewhat as a negative book because he confronts false teachers and false teaching, especially in chapter 2 and going into chapter 3, but especially in chapter 2, it starts out very positive with the blessings of living a victorious life as a Christian and uh, sandwiched in at the end of it uh, about uh, exhorting them, encouraging them to to stay faithful in their service to the Lord. But in chapter 1, verse 15 to 21, he gives us the certainty of Scripture. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit and, and, and use that as one of our highlights. Then you would get chapter 2, verse all, the, all of chapter 2 going into chapter 3, verse 4. He talks about the apostasy that was, that's brought in by false teachers. We've, we've talked about this word and used this word apostasy several times in some of Paul's letters. We talked about those. It basically means the falling away. That means to fall away from something you once stood for, once held to. Um, and so... Um, the falling away was occurring. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, we, see, we saw a good bit about that falling away in, in 2 Timothy, uh, false teachers and so forth, a little bit there too. And so Peter warns us about this. So in the early church, as time was going by, that was a problem they were having to deal with, uh, false teachers and false teaching. And he, he mentions that chapter 2, the whole chapter going into chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting at verse 5, down to verse 13, God's ultimate plan for the world. He talks about how the world was once destroyed uh, before and that it will be again, this time by fire. And uh, he gives he talks about God's ultimate plan for that and a little bit of prophecy we see uh, in those verses. Then chapter 3, closing out the book, verses 14 to 18, there's the exhortation, the encouragement for them to stay faithful, stay, stay close, to the, close to the Lord, stay faithful. And when we go through Jude, it's amazing how, even though it's one chapter, Jude has so many of these same things in it. We'll see that when we get there. Okay, so let's look at chapter 1, verse 4 to 10, and uh, start at verse 4. Actually, I should have put verse 3, back up to verse 3. We're going to, hold on just a minute, I missed something here. No, I know where I put it. Okay, we'll come back to verse 1. Let's go ahead and read verse 1. Let's do that just to get introduced, introduced to it. Simon Peter. As we know, he has two, uh, actually three names. His name's Simon, his name's Peter, and then also he's referred to by the name Cephas in one of Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians. Anyway, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll, um, we'll flip back to this in just a moment, but if you flip back to chapter 1, when he begins his letter, uh, he talks, he talks rights to those that are scattered abroad. Remember, because persecution was going on. Well, it was still going on, but he didn't address them that way in the second letter. He just said those that obtain, obtain like precious faith. And so... Um, as they, many of them had scattered in different places, they settled in different places. And so over time, his letter got copied and sent to other places where these believers gathered. So you see in verse uh, 3 and 4, according as his divine power had given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the acknowledge, or excuse me, through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And when we get to our study in 1 John, we're probably going to tie back into that verse 4. So we, we really don't have time to go over it tonight. We'll probably come back to it in 1 John in that study because John says something similar. Then you start it from verse 5 and read down. We won't read all of it, but read down to verse um, 5 to 7. 
And he says, besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And then to virtue, he says knowledge. And so these things are all add to this and this, add to this and this. And so you'll notice these are what you might call Christian character. They're kind of similar to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. They're very similar to those, but these are some of these are different ones that are mentioned than the fruit of the Spirit. But when he says add to your faith virtue, virtue is uh, living a uh, you know, a life that's pleasing to the Lord and add to virtue knowledge. So what he's, as he writes this, it's like uh, work on this. And as you work on this, this next quality will start to, to, to jump up in your life. You'll, you'll go from faith to virtue, living. And then as you, as you live uh, for the Lord and serve him, then there will be knowledge uh, learned from his word. And so these are some of the Christian character, Christian virtues um, he talks about here in these verses. Uh, I put the wrong verse. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, hey, Valerie, then skip down to verse 10. That should be 110 instead of 1 1. That should be 1 verse 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, what things? Verse 5 to 7. If you do these things, ye shall never fall. In other words, as you grow in grace, as you're serving the Lord, and the Lord's doing these things in your life, working this you know, faith and virtue and knowledge, temperance in your life, as you do that and grow, he says, you shall never fall. Does it mean you'll never sin and disobey? No, but it means you'll stay faithful. You'll stay faithful in your walk with him. So it brings stability in the Christian life. Next thing, we'll skip down to verse 16 to 18. We'll skip these next few verses. And Peter even refers to the fact that he knew that he was going to be probably martyred very soon. He says in verse 14, putting off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me, uh, he knew that his time was coming. And uh, he knew that it might not be very far away. But look down at verse 16 to verse number 18 with me for just a moment. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We've not followed something that was made up. We're following truth, he says. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. And there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now hold your place or put your marker there or whatever. We'll be coming back to that, of course. Go to Matthew, if you will, with me. What he's referring to is Matthew chapter 17. This is found in three of the four Gospels. And in Matthew 17, Matthew records it. And we, know, we call it um, the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a, a mountain that is not named in Scripture. I believe it was probably Sinai, Sinai where Moses got the law. But nevertheless... Um, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because that's what happens. Jesus transfigures right before them, and they just for a moment are able to see him in his glory. Uh, this is what he's referring to when he said that um, when he said that a voice uh, from God and about Jesus' excellent glory. This is my beloved Son that he said there in Second Peter. Look at chapter seventeen of Matthew, verse one. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother. And bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them. And this is how he was transfigured. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. 
And behold, there appeared in him Moses and Elias, or Elijah's talk, Elijah talking with him. And then you read down through there, and you see, uh, as they're there, look at verse 5, while he yet spake, or, uh, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of the cloud, um, out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And of course, that's God the Father talking there and speaking. So Peter refers to that in 2 Peter. This is, this is really, this is what he wants us to get, that he saw firsthand that very event. And we see there in Matthew that he was there. He saw that. He was an eyewitness of it. He saw Jesus, um, he'd been around him before, you know, as, as he was before that. And then he saw him transfigure. And then when he changed back to his appearance as he, as he was before, he saw all that. What a wonderful thing to see. This is one of those things I hope more in heaven one day the Lord will show a, a video on that. He'll let us see what that looked like. And who knows, he may do that for all through the Word of God. Maybe part of being in heaven is he's going to put the Word of God completely uh, in, in action. We'll get to see it all. Uh, that'd be neat, wouldn't it? This would be something to see. That'd be amazing. I mean, that'd give me chill bumps just standing there seeing that. But um, he says there that he, they were on the mount, saw Jesus change, and they heard the words that God spoke. But what I want you to do is hold on a second. Dig in right here, folks, because this to me is something even as exciting as that would be. This next thing we're about to see is even more exciting, I think, to you and me, because we weren't there and we couldn't be there. Maybe the Lord will show it to us one day, but dig in right now. I want you to see this. Look at verse 19 to 21, same chapter, 2 Peter 1. So in saying that, and he was on, there on, the, on that mount, saw all that happen. Look what he says. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I love that. I wish every Christian on planet earth would get a hold of this for just a moment. He said, look, I'm certain that what I saw I saw it with my eyes. Jesus was there. I knew what he looked like before. I knew what he looked like after he was trans or once he was transfigured. I saw it. I saw his glory. But look what he tells you and me. As wonderful as that was, we, all, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts until Jesus comes back. Knowing this, so what's that more sure word of prophecy? Knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture. We can hold in our hands a more sure word of prophecy. Peter says, that was wonderful. I saw it. But guess what? We've got something that for us is even better. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And he says, knowing this, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He said, look, we have something that is even more wonderful. Hold your place and go back with me to the um, book of Proverbs. I think a week or two ago, or maybe it was this past Sunday, uh, sometime recently, I mentioned this passage of Scripture, how this has become a favorite place to me in Proverbs recently. Proverbs 22 Look at verse 17. Peter said a more sure word of prophecy. We have it. We can hold it in our hand. Verse 17 of Proverbs 22. Bow down thine ear, hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing, if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips. That thy trust may be in the Lord, 
I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I might make thee to know the certainty? Peter said it was a sure word of prophecy. Certainty and sure are two words that mean the same thing. The certainty of the words of truth that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. And so right there we see, um, even in Proverbs, it mentions about being sure of what God has said, being certain. In the book of Acts, one more place as we make our way back to 2 Peter, Acts chapter 1, when Luke is writing the uh, book of Acts here and uh, begins it and starts writing, he says in verse 3, To whom also, speaking of Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So when we talk about the Bible being, being infallible, that means it can't fail and that it's without error. Then we see there in verse 3, that's where that word comes from. And so Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. In Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon there, says that those are words, there's certainty, the words of truth. And so it's wonderful as the Mount of Transfiguration was for them. He says we have a more sure word of prophecy something we can bank on. Just as good as that was, and it was, it was perfect because the Lord was there and the Lord did that. But we have something we can hold in our hand. We can't go back to that event, but we've got something that we can take with us every day. What a blessing in knowing that truth about Scripture. I think I put that on there twice for some reason. I do not know why. Um, both of those. Okay, go to chapter 2. Chapter 2. So uh, we said that chapter 2, 1 through, I think it's 3, 4. I believe it's right, uh, talks about false prophets or false teachers and so forth and false teaching. Got several references here. We probably won't have time to make it to all of these tonight. But Second uh, Peter 2, look at verse 1 to 3. But there were false prophets also among the people. Uh, talking about in the Old Testament. Because if you read those verses we just left... It says that um, old time God spake is moved by the Holy Ghost. That means, you know, he's referring basically to the Old Testament right there. That, of course, the Old Testament is inspired. And um, he says, but there, there were false prophets also among the people. And he's talking about back even in that day, there were false prophets. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily or privately, if you want to pronounce that way, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And here's the reason, here's the bottom line of it right here. And through covetousness, that is making money off of it, through covetousness shall they with feign, the word feign means to make something up or to create your own words or doctrine. With feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, their damnation slumbereth not. So he warns there uh, about false prophets, uh, false teachers, or rather, in those verses that they would uh, come. Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, beware of, of, of uh, sheep and wolves' clothing, and that there, fault, there will be false prophets, he says. And then he says, you know them by their fruit. What is their fruit? Their words is their fruit. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Um, go back to Acts. So let's do go to this one. Acts chapter 20. So remember I said that Paul had written about a very similar thing. His words were a little different, but wrote in a couple of places about there would be false teachers. He warned about those. In fact, we'll see those in a moment in uh, 2 Timothy. But look with me in Acts 20, starting in verse 28. Paul is speaking to some pastors uh, from a area from region of Ephesus, 
And as he was leaving on this trip to go, um, actually he was getting ready not, not too much longer, they'd be going to, on their way to Rome. As he was leaving, he knew he would not see these, these men anymore on planet earth. He knew that they wouldn't see him until the next life. But he says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And so an overseer is one who looks over something. Um, a shepherd is one that looks over sheep. And so that's kind of a, a mental picture of what a pastor is supposed to be. And when we studied in Paul's letters in a second, or 1 Timothy and Titus, he uses that word bishop. That means an overseer. Um, and also the word elder, it means to oversee. And so he tells them, he says, the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He's put you in the place, the position, he tells them, that they're pastors and they're to, look what he tells them to do, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And then he says, that's the positive part. Now here's the negative. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves, remember Jesus used that same thing, wolves in sheep clothing, Grievous wolves entering among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn, uh, to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Peter uh, talks about it in his letter. Paul had talked about it there to some pastors face to face, but he also put it also in um, his, his letters also. Uh, go with me to, for time's sake, let's just go to 2 Timothy 4. Then we'll make our way back to 2 Peter. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and verse 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap themselves teachers. Now Peter called them false teachers. Teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So Paul uh, said in his letter, Peter mentions it here, uh, that there will be those who would be false teachers. And so um, that's a warning he gives to them, just as Paul gave them that warning. Same thing is true in the 21st century. It's something all through the centuries um, that has been a problem in, in, uh, uh, in Christianity, false teachers and false teaching. So he warns them about that. Now, let's look at this. Chapter 2. Skip down to verse 6. So he's going to go back uh, a couple of times in this chapter. He's going back into the Old Testament. He goes, uh, we don't have time for it right now, but verse 4 and 5, he talks about the angels that sinned. And then he goes um, also in uh, the Old Testament book of Genesis. He talks about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, about Lot. And then he skips down, let's see, when you're going over in Second Peter to um, uh, chapter 2 there, to verse 15. He talks about, remember Balaam and Balak and uh, the, fa um, the false prophet? Um, he uses him as an example. So this whole chapter is something to do with either false teachers or with the destruction that, that the Lord brings in. So look with me at verse 6 down to verse number 9. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, that's from Genesis 19, about verse 24 to 28. Condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. So in other words, he said that destruction was to be an example, uh, not only the destruction itself, but, but it, that came on those uh, that were judged, but there was an example as, as time went on. Verse 7, and delivered just lot, I'm going to read all through this, then we're going to come back. Just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man 
dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous uh, soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord, knowing how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. So Lot... The backstory of that comes from Genesis 19, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember, you know, he, he told um, Abraham, he said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, um, if there are 50 righteous, will you spare it for them? He said, I'll spare it for 50. So Abraham thought about that a little bit. I don't think there are 50. He said, about 40. I'll, I'll spare it for 40. And then Abraham thought about that. There, there aren't 40 there. And then 30, all the way down. And so it ended up um, that the only ones God was going to spare was Lot his wives, their husbands, and Lot's wife. So that doesn't even make 10. And so uh, he said, you know, get Lot out of there, and then the angels go to deliver Lot, remember, and his family. Well, um, the Bible says in chapter 19 of Genesis that when he tried to warn them, his sons-in-law laughed at him. They mocked at him. They thought he was joking. Yeah, God's going to bring down fire brimstone right. They laughed at him. So they stayed behind. His daughters and his wife went with him. Then, of course, you remember his wife turned around, turns into a pillar of salt. Uh, but his, his daughters go with him. And they end up uh, up in a cave. And then uh, if you read towards, a, as you read on through the end of chapter 19, this is not a very, you know, wonderful thing to talk about. But uh, the scripture says that um, between the two daughters, both of them got him drunk at different times, and they were both a child by their father, and they have children, and the descendants of those children, we read in Genesis 19, Israel had problems with them for decades and centuries after that. The Moabites and the Ammonites, they had constant problems with them all the time. Um, but look what the Bible has to say about Lot. Look at verse number 8. And deliver just Lot. Now, the reason that doesn't mean, now, the word just is another way. We talked about this a lot of times in our studies. English language is a beautiful language. It's the best language, I think, on planet Earth, but it's not without its mistakes. I mean, all, you know, it's, not, it's imperfect. English language isn't 100% perfect because this is one of those cases. You, you've got a word that means more than one thing. Spelt the same way, but it means more than one thing. Well, the word just can mean only, as in one, one, only. Um, but just also in the scripture means righteous or to declare righteous. The Bible says when Abraham believed God and God declared him righteous, he justified Abraham. He was declared righteous by believing on God. So we know it doesn't mean only Lot because Lot and his daughters survived, right? So it can't mean just in that sense. But let's let the Bible define itself. It's the best, it's the best dictionary to, uh, and, and commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation wicked, for that righteous man. God calls him righteous. So at some point in his life, Lot, just as Abraham did, believed on, believed on the Lord, and, and he was, you know, given the very righteousness of God because he believed. So he was a believer. But though he was a believer, he was a disobedient believer. So um, he was a believer that gave in to the world. He's a believer that lost his testimony, but he was a believer. And the Bible says God spared him, delivered him. And um, this is the only place uh, where it talks about his, as far as him being righteous. He's not listed in Hebrews in the Hall of Fame there, but he, here we see him listed, and the Bible calls him righteous. And again, righteous isn't by our deeds. It's about, um, about who we're putting our trust in for our salvation. And Lot had a, obviously already trusted the Lord, but yet Lot, um, God spared him, even though everything else, uh, around him was destroyed. God did deliver him before that destruction came. So what I want you to see here is that's 
that was Lot. That's how he's known. He's a believer, but he's a believer that disobeyed God and he lost his testimony because of it. And so uh, after Genesis 19, we don't hear more about him. I don't know how long he lived after that. The scripture doesn't say, but, well, you know, he uh, after that, uh, God had spared him and he still lived a period of time. All right, let's move on a little bit more. We're going to skip all the way over to chapter 3 now. So in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, we said that um, this section here, these are the, actually the last two verses tied in with chapter 2 on false teachers. And so he says this, verse 3 and 4, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, um, someone who mocks, someone who doesn't believe, someone who's very skeptical. Last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, you know, it's not going to happen. It's always going to be like this. You know, where's the promise of, of God, you know, of the Lord coming back? Where's the promise of him making some new, new, uh, um, new thing, of him coming and, and living and dwelling on earth or, you know, setting up a kingdom? Where's that at? So unsaved people, atheists, they, of course, they don't believe in God, so they're not going to believe anything that has to do with prophecy. But even Christians who quit looking for the rapture, it says there, where's the promise of his coming? Notice what it says, that from the beginning of the creation. So even mockers that believe that, you know, that God created this world in some way, there's still those who mock. And so um, they ask, where's the promise of his coming? And the irony of this is, even in the asking that question, they're fulfilling prophecy because the Bible says there will be those scoffers. And so for every scoffer, they're fulfilling prophecy saying that that indeed was going to happen, and it's happening even today. All right, let's go to look at a little bit of tune-up. Uh, we're going to have to have a little time for Jude here in just a moment. Let's look at a little bit of tune-up. So tune-up are verses that we look at uh, in a book. Uh, sometimes it may be a couple of them. In this case, we got five uh, for such a short book. Verses that help us in our Christian walk, something practical. Look at verse, um, you know what? I skipped over that, I think. Let me see. I did skip that. Ah, I can't believe I did that. Actually, there's six. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Back up to chapter 1 of 1 Peter to your left. I mentioned this Sunday morning if you were here uh, in the, and heard the me- or heard the message Sunday morning. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, was he an apostle? Absolutely, he was an apostle. And he begins his letter that way in 1 Peter and writes with the authority God had given him as an apostle. He wasn't bragging on himself. He was just saying, look, I'm given the authority to write this letter because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. But then when you get to chapter 1 and verse 1 of 2 Peter, about six years later, you see some maturity in his life. Now... Yes, he's an apostle, but he says, but first, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't toot his own horn. He talks about, look, I've, I've, learned, uh, I've learned the secret. I've become a servant, not only an apostle, but I see myself as a servant. I'm serving the Lord. So we see spiritual growth in Peter. All right, look at verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. We read that a while ago. Uh, According to his, his divine power, God's power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we've got, once we get saved, we've got everything we need for the Christian life. As far as we've got the Holy Spirit within us, we have salvation, the Holy Spirit within us, Jesus is our Savior, we have God's Word, we have prayer. And of course, God brings people in our life to help us, Christian friends, pastors, teachers, and so forth. 
But we, once we're saved, we have everything it says that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And um, God's given us that. So we have all that when we're saved. We get the whole package deal. The next ones are all in chapter 3. We're going to look at for tune-up. Chapter 3 and verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you um, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So uh, remembering something and writing about something again and again, uh, repetition is a key in the Christian life to grow. So um, as you grow in grace, and there are times where you may hear something very similar, a sermon or lesson, well, I've heard that before. Yeah, maybe you have, but when you hear it again, you may hear something you missed. Or when you hear it again, there's some other, maybe something new in your life that you're going through that uh, what you hear at that time may help you to apply something better. Uh, something you never saw before. So repetition is not only key to learning, it's also key the key to growing as well in the Christian life. Chapter 3, uh, verse 11. So we, we talked about in verse chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, about the scoffers that would say, where's the promise of His coming? And you read verse uh, 5 down to verse 10, and it talks about the judgment that's coming, the day of the Lord, that the heavens and the earth will be destroyed, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, that says, and then it says also in verse 12 about that. But look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, that is, this whole earth is going to be burned up and God's going to create a new one. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So prophecy, um, a lot of times people say, well, people want to learn prophecy. It just builds them up mentally and they, they, understand, about a lot, they start understanding a lot of facts and figures about the Bible. Well, that's true to an extent because we should do that to an extent. But also in verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11, it talks about prophecy from the standpoint that it's very practical in our life. It should cause us to look forward to the Lord's return. And because of that, we should be living pleasing to Him. Not that we're afraid we're going to miss out, but because when He comes back, we want to, to live pleasing to Him. Where when He comes back, as we'll see in 1 John, we don't want to be ashamed of His appearing. We want to, to, be, uh, to be ready for when He comes back. And so it says, um, what manner of persons you ought to be whenever you think about the fact that God's going to Destroy all this and that these, these things in prophecy will take place. Chapter 3, verse 16. Um, actually, back up verse 14, but I want you to see what's in verse 16. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So right here, in that, what we just read, and in these next few words... Peter confirms Paul's letters as being Scripture. Look what it says in verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other Scriptures under their own destruction. So it says there that some things are hard to be understood. I'm glad he wrote that because there are. There are a lot of things in Scripture it takes us a while to understand. The Lord will show us in time. We're not going to learn everything overnight or even in a day or even in a month or a year. It takes time over the course of a Christian life. So he says there's some things hard to be understood, and there are. Um, and then he talks about here going back to false teachers that they take these things and twist them, and he uses the word rest, which is short for the word to wrestle. Takes and twists and wrestles these things to make them mean something they want them to mean and uh, how, how that's very deceptive. So anyway, he says there are some things hard to be understood. And we learn as time goes by, we're not going to get it all overnight. And then he closes with a verse about Christian growth. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. 
Amen. All right, so we'll stop with that and then move over to Jude, and then we'll try to stop soon enough uh, tonight if you have any questions. Oh, okay, so we look at fuel up each time we're looking at titles of Jesus, and uh, he calls him, as Paul does in his writings, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He refers to Jesus that way in chapter 1, verse 1, 11, and 14, actually. Okay, here's some good verses to memorize from Second Peter, verse 4. We read a while ago, uh, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And then chapter 2, verse 19 that we talked about, that as wonderful as the transfiguration was, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And then the verse we just saw, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's move on to Jude and see if we can make it in 20 minutes. So, very similar, Jude has actually, it's only one chapter, 25 verses, but it's got a back-to-back thing like two sides of the coin. Contending for the faith, that's the positive side, that is standing strong uh, in what is right and and right doctrine and standing strong on that, but also contending for the faith against false teachers. And it's going to be amazing. We'll look at some comparisons here in just a minute with 2 Peter, especially chapter 2 and the little one-chapter book of Jude. One chapter, 25 verses. It was written roughly about the same time as 2 Peter, 66 A.D. And verse 1, it starts out. Jude, the brother of James. Jude is short for the name Judas, or which is also derived from Judah. We know one of the 12 tribes of Israel is Judah. And then another name, Judas. Uh, it says he's the brother of, uh, of James. Hold your place and go back with me to Matthew, if you will. Matthew 13. So there are two apostles named James. One James is the brother of John, and they're the sons of Zebedee, also called the sons of thunder. And James and John are brothers. And there's a John, oh, excuse me, a James that has a brother with three names. Um, we're going to look at it here. Matthew 13, look at verse 53. Matthew 13, verse 53. I have to move pretty quick here. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And then look, skip down to verse uh, 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Remember, Judas short for Judas or Judah. Both Judas and Judah mean praise. God is praised. And so Jesus had a brother named James and a brother named Judas, which probably could have been shortened or was shortened to Jude. And so is this Jude, Judas, the brother of Jesus? Some writers say that it is. I don't think it is for a couple of reasons. Go back with me to uh, Jude there, verse 1. Book of Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So he says he's the brother of James. I don't think that he's the brother of, of Jesus and James because I think he would have probably said, I'm the brother of Jesus. Why would he just say I'm the brother of James? He'd probably, he would have probably said I'm the the brother of Jesus also. But he, uh, we do know that there was uh, Jude or Judas that was a brother of James that's an apostle uh, or a disciple. In Luke 6, it lists them. It lists him as a brother of James. He's called Judas, though, there. Now, again, just as there were two James in, um, in, in the disciples, there's also two Simons, Simon Peter, and Simon the Zealot. 
And there are two Judases in Jesus' apostles. Don't know why he chose six of those with uh, two each of, of the three, of three names like that. Don't know why he did that, but he did for some reason. But one thing we can do is we can contrast him with the other Jew, Judas Iscariot. So he's called uh, the brother James, and in Luke 6, verse 13 to 16, he's listed there as one of the apostles or disciples and a brother of James. And then uh, he has two other names in Mark and Matthew. Mark 3.18, his name's Thaddeus. And then in Matthew 10, verse 3, his name's Lebius. Again, it's not uncommon for somebody to have more than one name. Simon had three. Simon, Peter, Cephas. So in that day, there was, not, there was nothing uncommon about that. So, it's, you know, again, it's not a contradiction. It just shows you that someone said their name is given something different in different places. Um, sometimes a person that has a... Um, maybe they go through school and they're called a first name, uh, their middle name or their first name, then in later years they're called by the other one. Um, I remember when I, uh, several years ago, I almost changed my name from Barry to my middle name. And I decided not to, but came that close to changing my name, um, but decided not to. But some people do that. Um, I know a guy named, um, we grew up, I knew his name was Eddie. And then later years, he started going by Paul. So other people would call him Paul, and, I, and then if I called him Eddie, other people would look at me like, what, what would you call him? Well, that's the way I knew him growing up. So sometimes, you know, that's the way it is. They have more than one name. But I'm, I'm getting to a point here. It's to understand who this Jew, Judas is. Go back to John, if you will, John 14. I know I'm doing a lot of introduction because we haven't even gotten to the meat of this yet. John 14, look with me at verse number 22. So here Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the night before he's crucified, and he's telling them about he must go back. You know, after he um, arises from the dead, he has to ascend back so the Holy Spirit can come down. But look at chapter 13, uh, 14, verse 22 of John. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot. Notice it says that. It makes it very clear. Understand it's not Iscariot. Well, why is that? Well, there are two Judases, and also by this time, uh, Judas Iscariot had already gone to betray Jesus. So the scripture makes it very clear, Judas, not Iscariot. He puts it in and said, by the way, it's not Iscariot that asked this question. So imagine he had a, he probably had a rough time uh, after, after uh, Judas had, you know, uh, hung himself and after Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, I think I'm going to just call myself Jude, myself Jude now. That would be going like from Johnny or Jonathan to John or from Thomas to Tom. Uh, and, and, you know, shorten your name. So I think we'll go by Jude now instead of Judas, which would make sense. Anyway, so just to give a little background of who he is. So put on your uh, skates. We're going to go. Verse 1 to 3, one chapter, gives us the purpose of this epistle. He writes and says, I, I, I began writing this. I was going to write to you about the common salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and just rejoice over that. But he said, guess what? The Holy Spirit had something else different for me. I'm having to write to you about some false teaching. And so he tells them that's what he wanted to do, but the purpose of it eventually goes from that to look at verse 2. Uh, verse 3, Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So he tells them, stay strong, stay strong for what is right and right doctrine, contend for the faith. So that's the positive of it. And then he's going to get into some negative. Verse 4 to 16, a good bit of the book, of one chapter book, is about occurrences of example and, of, of, uh, and examples of apostasy. He deals with in, in the next several verses. And then verse 17 to 19, he gives a warning of that which will is to come. Uh, prophes, uh, or excuse me, um, 
of apostasy that was going to be in the future. And then he gives in verse 20 to 25 the exhortation or the encouragement for them to keep on and not fall to apostasy. Endure it. Don't fall into it. Stay strong in what you believe. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. Take uh, the scenic route in our, tri- in our drive. Verse 9, this is interesting. Look what he says here. Yet Michael the archangels, when, when our archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him. That's an old English word, and we, we say the word dared not or would not dare. Durst not to bring against him a railing accusation, but said the Lord rebuke thee. So in this little 25-verse book, in one whole verse of that book, he gives us some information that we don't have in the Old Testament. It talks about the body of Moses after, after Moses died. And he mentions Michael there in verse 9, Michael the archangel. Um, there's, a few, there's several references in Daniel, but two of them are Daniel 10.21 and Daniel 12 in verse 1. Michael apparently is an archangel that is his main responsibility has to do with the nation of Israel itself. Remember when Jesus was born, though, uh, or before he was born, when the announcement was given to Mary and then also to Joseph, uh, remember the angel that appeared? He was Gabriel, remember? Well, for what we see, especially in the book of Daniel, until we see it here, um, anything that has to do with Israel as a nation, Michael is the archangel. If an archangel is mentioned or an angel is mentioned by name, it's Michael. So he has something to do with that. He has something to do with the, some of the battles that went on uh, in heaven. It's a thing that you have to look at in Daniel. It gets deep. We don't have time for that. Um, but at any rate, Michael was, it says there, uh, when he contended with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses. So let's see what he's talking about here and why he mentions this. Go over to Deuteronomy with me. Hold your place in, uh, there in uh, Jude and go with me way back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book in your Bible. Uh, right towards the very end there in chapter 34. Um, In fact, the last chapter, verse 5 and 6. In this passage here, if you're making your way there to Deuteronomy, Moses goes up from the plains of Moab and he's talking to God and uh, uh, he mentions to him about all the the tribes. God talks to him about all the land that they're going to go into. Moses was not going to get to go into the promised land. Joshua would lead them into that, but Moses was about to die, and he wanted to tell him, tell Moses all about what was to happen and the tribes and so forth going into the promised land. Look at verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he, God himself, he buried him, buried Moses, in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. So no one else knew where the Lord buried Moses. Only the Lord knew and the devil. The devil knew where it was. And so at some point in history, after Moses died, the devil wanted that body. And God says, nope, you're not having it. Michael, go down there and make sure he doesn't get that. And you tell him what I said. And when you rebuke him, let him know I'm the one rebuking him. You're not doing it, Moses. I'm the one that's, I mean, uh, Michael, I'm the one that's rebuking him, according to what it says there in Jude. He didn't dispute with him. He just said, the Lord rebuked thee. So Moses wanted that body. God didn't want anybody else knowing. You know, I think God knows human nature. If there, There's just some people that they would actually make an idol out of something like that. You know, oh, here's the body of Moses. I mean, look through centuries how they've tried to say, this is the burial of Simon Peter. 
He's gone. What does it matter? You'll see him in heaven, right? This was one of the. Um, this is one of the nails of the cross. If we collected all the nails that they claim were nails from the cross, folks, we'd have enough nails to make building after building. You know, people would make some kind of idol out of it, and I believe that's one of the reasons we don't have the original manuscripts. I believe people would make idol out. I really do. I think they'd start worshiping them more more than what God says in His Word. But nevertheless, people would make an idol out of something. And God's the only one who knew where it was, except for the devil. So God says to, to Michael, I want you to, I want you to uh, make sure that everything goes the way it should. The devil doesn't get that body. I'm going to take it. Look what he does. Go over to Matthew 17. So at some point, after Moses died and God buried him in a place where only God and the devil knew, at some point, God resurrected Moses' body. Matthew 17. We were here a while ago. Look at verse 1. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, and, brought, and uh, his brother, bringeth them up to a mountain apart, high mountain apart. He was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah talking with him. So where did, what happened with Elias? Elijah, remember, he got taken up live. He got taken up in the chariot of clouds, the horses, remember? He was, taken, he was raptured live. So God raptured Moses' body from the ground. There's a beautiful picture. Elijah's a picture of the Christian at the rapture that's living. And Moses is a picture of the dead in Christ who rise. Isn't that an awesome thing? And Moses lived before Elijah. Whew, that gives me chill bumps just to think about this. So at some point, God said, Michael, why don't you go get that body? Bring it to could God have done it himself? Sure he could have. He could have done it himself if he wanted to. And just, just quicker we could blink. But he chose it to do it this way, and he was there in heaven waiting until it was time for him to come with Elias, Elijah and appear on the Mount of Transfiguration. Isn't that an awesome thing? God just, God's such a God of details, isn't he? That is such an awesome thing. And so he will remain there until... All right, now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick ride. I want to go through some more stuff in Jude. We just don't have time right now. Hold your place. Look at verse 3 and 4 of Jude. Then we're going to back up to 2 Peter 2. So hold your place on those two. We're going to back and forth. Jude verse 3 and 4. And I may get to reading fast. I don't mean to, but we're going to have to. Jude verse 3, 4. Beloved, uh, we read that verse about contending for the faith, common salvation. Look at verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Peter 2, verse 1. There shall be false prophets among you, and there shall be false, or excuse, there were false prophets among the people. There shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. It's said there in, in, uh, in the book of Jude that they crept in unawares. See the similarity? Privately or privily, crept in unawares. Just amazing how these two books fit together. Look at 2 Peter, or excuse me, Jude, verse 16. Skipping down a little bit. Then we'll go to 2 Peter 2, verse 3. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter, verse number 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, their damnation slumbereth not. So he mentions the, um, the judgment that has come to them. Actually, I think that should be 15 and 16 on uh, Jude instead of just 16. All right, look with me at verse 6. Look with me at verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. 
Go back to 2 Peter 2 verse 4. For if God spare not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment. Um, both, both books, so much similar right there with both of those books. Chapter, uh, well, one chapter, verse 7, um, he says there in Jude, even as uh, talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in chapter 2 of Second Peter, verse 6 through 8, we looked at a while ago about Lot, again, about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, verse 11, or excuse me, verse 9 of Jude, uh, Michael the archangel about the body of Moses, 2 Peter 2, 11, where his angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. He told Michael not to bring railing accusation against the devil. Just amazing how these two, how these two match. Um, three more and we'll have to move on. Verse 10 of Jude, uh, these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally is brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. And then chapter 2, verse 12 of Second Peter. But these is natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Just back and forth, over and over. So if you get a, if you get a chance sometime maybe later this week, um, even if it's just those two chapters to compare, look at chapter 2 and, and of Second uh, Peter and look at Jude. Uh, two more. Chapter 12, um, verse 12. First part of the verse, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. And then over in 2 Peter 2, verse 13, um, it says in the second half of that, spots and blemishes sporting themselves and deceiving while they feast with you. Just amazing how much this, these match. One more, verse 11 of Jude. Woe unto them, for they've gone the way of Cain and greedily after the era of Balaam for reward. Um, Balaam is the one that was the false prophet that uh, brought a false prophecy in the book of Numbers to Israel. And then when you look at 2 Peter 2, verse 15 and 16, talks about the same thing. Just amazing parallel in those, those two chapters, really, 2 Peter 2 and Jude. Amazing. There are also some in chapter 3, but for time's sake, we're not able to make that tonight. Then there are two more if you want to write those down for time's sake. Chapter 12, uh, verses 12, I keep saying chapter, verses 12 and 13 with 2 Peter 2, 17. And then Jude verse 16 with 2 Peter 2, the first part of verse 18 also. All right. Uh, another thing he talks about here, what did I do there, is Enoch. Enoch is found in the book of Genesis chapter 5. I don't know why I didn't write that reference down. Enoch in verse number 14 of Jude, he says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, it doesn't mean the seventh person. He's talking about, well, seventh, but he was also seventh generation, but he was seventh person like great, great, great grandson, whatever, great, 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 great grandson. Seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, in Genesis 5, the Bible tells us that um, Enoch walked with God, and then it says, And then he was not, for God took him. Enoch was taken up, raptured into heaven uh, without seeing death. And we know that by going to Hebrews, Hebrews 11. I didn't put the verses down on Genesis 5 I meant to, but I also didn't put the ones down on Genesis 11. I think what happened was I was going to another slide and I didn't save that or something. But look with me at Hebrews 11 and verse number uh, 5. Okay, Genesis, the verses are chapter 5, verse 18 to 24, if you're writing notes. Genesis 5, verse 18 to 24. Hebrews 11, 5. 
By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. To translate, we use the word today when you're writing and, you, and you've got one language and you're going to make the words uh, go into the words of another language. To translate literally means you pick something up and place it in another place. So when you're translating from a language to a language, you're taking that word or that sentence or that verse or whatever, and in a sense you're picking it up, changing it to the words that will fit the, the language that you're, where you're, that you're changing it from and changing it to, and then putting them in that language. Well, the word translate there means he was taken up. He was completely removed from planet Earth without dying, it says there, um, that he did not, should not see death. And then it says before this translation, it says that he pleased God. Well, in the book of Judah, it tells us he was a preacher um, who prophesied there. It says, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, this is something also that will blow your mind. He prophesied the second coming 3,000 years before Jesus was born, the first coming. Isn't that an amazing thing? Behold, the Lord cometh with thousands of his saints. This, this book, there's no other book on the planet like this book. And if you take these two books and you dig in them, just those, just Jude and Second Peter. Man, there's so much stuff in there. All right, let's tune up. Keep yourselves, verse 21. He writes and says something interesting. Keep yourselves. Notice he doesn't say keep your salvation. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What he tells them there is he closes out, keep your mind on your spiritual well-being. Just as you watch out for your physical well-being, your financial well-being, everything else in your life which is important, keep your eye on your spiritual well-being. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Not that God doesn't love you any less or any more. He can't love you either. He loves you like you are. He's not going to love you any less. But he says keep yourself in God's love. Um, spiritually um, stay strong. Spiritually stay where you're supposed to be. And keep yourself, it'd be like building a fence around it and stay in the, the love of God in that um, you're, you're staying in the boundaries of, of who he is, of his love, of his word. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So that's our tune-up. Jesus in Jude, in verse 25, he's called the only wise God, our Savior, there in the last verse as he closes out. And then a couple of verses for our home address to, to memorize. I love these. Verse 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Jesus had compassion, and he showed it in his ministry, and it made a difference in a lot of people's lives. He had compassion on those who needed healing. He had passion on those, compassion on those who needed miracles. But he had compassion on those, even that, he even had compassion on that rich young ruler that, you know, walked away after Jesus said, you know, go sell what you have and follow me. And the man, you know, he went away sorrowful, said. But Jesus had compassion. He loved him, had compassion on him. Verse 24, now unto him, that is able to keep you from falling. We can't keep ourselves from that, but God can. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Great verses to memorize. Um, they're not real, real long, but those are home address to be able to memorize. Let's stop there. Any questions or any input on tonight? I'm out of breath. Yes, ma'am. Denise? That was fascinating about Michael and the body of Moses. I never heard that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. We, we don't know it until you get to Jude. And that's, that's another thing that makes that book so important to be included in Scripture because now you put the puzzle together from where he dies in Deuteronomy and just, just kind of mysteriously says God buried him. 
And then he shows up at the Mount of Transfiguration, and then we see why, because uh, apparently that, you know, that body had been taken back up. And so just, just really a neat thing. So I like that. Anything else? Buddy? All right, about five after. So Lord willing, Lord willing, if you want to read ahead, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John next week. 1st uh, John is five chapters. 2nd, 3rd John both are only one chapter each. In fact, um, the chapter or 1st, 2nd John is only 13 verses. 3rd John is 14. So the two of them together are just like two verses longer than Jude. Um, but they're not very long, but boy, they got a lot of stuff in them. But Lord willing, we'll get through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John next week. And then we'll be at Revelation because we just finished Jude. So we're almost done with cruising. And here, I want you to keep cruising though. Anything else? All right, let's stand close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, thank you for these little books that we sometimes overlook just because they're way back there in the back and they're short books. And, and let, yet tonight, Lord, we see where you just put packed so much into those books and uh, we could have probably taken a, a, a night for each of these and so much in those. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, tonight, as we've seen, as Denise commented, it's just amazing to see how you tie your word together the way you do. And Lord, there's some places like that that's further later on that you reveal some things in Scripture that go way back to the Old Testament. And Lord, that's so true in our lives that there are times where something at some point in our life may not make sense. And then later on, sometimes years or even decades later on, we look back and say, oh, okay, I see God was working the whole time. And now it makes sense. Now I can see. And, and Lord, life is a lot like that sometimes. And the longer we walk with you and live for you, um, there may be times we look back and see things that questions are answered because now it makes sense. And I pray that you'll help us to grow in your word and grow in grace, just as Peter closed his second letter, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all be safe going home. See you Sunday, Lord willing.